0: Well, good morning. Thanks for coming out on a cold day. My name is Andy McFarland. I'm a pastor at North Point Community Church, so we're on the other side of town. Uh, I was on staff here, thanks, from 2002 to 2005 as a singles pastor. I was part of the team that launched out of here uh, Northside Church. And many of you were um, giving and praying for that long before I arrived on the scene. So when Brian offers me a chance to come back and and preach, I I jump on it, primarily, or one of the main reasons is to say thank you, because a lot of you guys sacrificed and and believed in this thing, and um, yeah, we're having a great time. Certainly got our challenges, but God is at work, and um, glad to be there. You see pictures up here. One of the things that, oh, years ago somebody said, Andy, if their church you're involved with, if it ceased to exist... Outside the people who go. All right, so your church ceased to exist. Wouldn't anybody else know? Wouldn't anybody else care? I thought, man, I want people outside the walls of North Point to care. So we look for opportunities. Well, oh, last fall the food bank came to us and said, you know, we partner around the city trying to get food to people. And your area of town, in our demographics, is the most unreached. It's the the poorest people that, that doesn't have a food distribution in it. Would you be willing to provide the people the place to do it? we said, absolutely. Because um, we feel like Jesus cares about feeding people and Jesus cares about the vulnerable. So the chance to partner with them. and So the fourth Monday of every month, we're doing that. So this last one in February, it was wicked cold. And there we are and loading the stuff down. It comes down to our youth room. And again, just a chance for us to practically show the love of Jesus. He cares about the vulnerable. He cares about the poor. And for the people who never will go... To our doors say, so, yeah, we're, we're glad North Point's here. We don't quite get it all, Don't, don't maybe a little, little wired on that Jesus thing, but, but we're glad they're here. From time to time, when I'm at home and I'm looking for something to do, I, I will get online and Amazon is my uh, vehicle of choice to, to stream a movie. And before I do that particular movie, before I lock in, I'll look at people's comments and I'll look at how many stars they gave, but I also want to know... What is it about that movie that made you give it five stars? What, what was so good? Or what was so bad about it that made you gave it one star? And in reading the, the so what comments, I decide, do I want to go forward watching this movie or not? Or it helps me make the decision. Well, way back in the day, when he was on earth, Jesus, in a sense, gave himself a five star rating. He said, I'm the good shepherd. So I, I want to ask the question, what is it? That would make Jesus say that. What is so good about the good shepherd? We're going to talk about that this morning. So you've got a Bible. If you'd open it to John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to go through verse 21 and wrestle with that very question. What's so good about the good shepherd? Now, as you're turning there, the, the, the metaphor of a shepherd is, is vivid. It's freighted with impact for the people of Israel. They were an agrarian culture, and sheep were a big part of their economy. But sheep were vulnerable. They could go over a cliff. They could have been water over their head, or they were targets for predators, lions and bears and other things. So they needed a shepherd to, to watch over them. Uh, sheep could wander into a place where there, was, where there was no pasture, there was no water. The shepherd had to be looking out for that and, and was watching for the sheep. And so God paints himself as a shepherd. Sadly, also a part of Israel's history is a bunch of shepherds that didn't fulfill their responsibility. They were actually masquerading. They were taking advantage of the people and using that position to feed on the sheep. In Ezekiel 34, God steps in and says to the shepherds, you're lousy, you're taking advantage of the people, you're out, and I'm going to shepherd the people. And that's what he did. And so against that backdrop then, we start reading in our passage, John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He's a thief and a robber. He's no shepherd. He's pretending to be a shepherd, but he's a thief and a robber. There are people who are masquerading, who are are saying they're a shepherd, but they don't care about the people. They're using that position to take advantage of the people. So Jesus says, watch out. But then in verses 2-4, he talks about the true shepherd, or the good shepherd. Here's what he says. But he... Who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him. Why? Why? Because they know his voice. How many of you have a dog? How many dog owners do we have here? You can raise your hands. Okay. All right, so if you give me the name of your dog... And I gently call, I sweetly call, come here, come on, spot, come on, rover. Spot or rover coming to me? No. No, they're not. Why? They don't know my what? They don't know my voice. I don't care what they, and they're not coming. That's what Jesus said. My, my sheep know my voice. So my question is then, how do we know the voice of God? Here is how we know the voice of God. And one of the reasons the leadership of this church is so committed to opening and walking through this book passage by passage every week is so that you and I would know the voice of God. When I was in college, I uh, got involved in the dorm Bible studies as a August of 1978. Wasn't a believer in Jesus. And, and I was in there six months, and I had no idea what I was getting in for. Very evangelistic in nature. And, and if there was one verse that kind of ruined me, and one phrase of one verse, it was Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is the phrase, not as a result of works. I wrestled with that for six months. And this guy, Ron it, man, he was patient. He had a couple guys, and uh, once a week they were in the dorm, and they were by, by my dorm room two or three times. What do you think? What, what do you process. And, and so finally, February, I just decided I, I either got to get in on this or, or, or I don't. And, and I said, I, I'm in. I, I'm taking God at his word. And so you can imagine after that, when I had a question, I, I went to him because he had led me to the Lord. But he said something, and I'll never forget it. He said, Andy, you don't take me at my word. Don't you ever take me at white word. You check me out in the scriptures. And if you disagree, let's politely talk about it. Because it's not my voice you're ultimately listening for. It's the voice of God. So here's my question. Are we people who can be had? Because we don't know the word of God. Are we vulnerable to false shepherds? We would say, we we stand up here and teach this, but we would beg you and beseech you, would you be in the word the other six days a week? Because this ain't going to get it done once a week. You can be had. We can be had if we don't know the voice of God. Would we be people that know the word of God that we can discern the voice of Jesus? Well, verse 5 then, Jesus talks about how to react when strangers come. Here's, here's, here's the deal. A stranger, I mean, verse 5, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So you're in the word, I'm in the word. We discern a voice. and no, 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 that isn't right. What do we do? Then we go the other way. I don't care how good it sounds, how, how enticing it seems. How You go the other way. As a little boy, we moved to the Detroit area in the first grade. And so first through fifth grade, I would walk a half a block. I'd walk a block over, and I'd walk a half a block, and I could be at school in about five minutes. If my parents would have let me jump a fence, I could have been there in a minute, but there was no jumping a fence. And so I could make it five minutes, but there were other kids who were walking 20, 25, 30 minutes. And so every year, there would be an assembly... And a police officer would walk in, and they would say, Boys and girls, if a stranger stops in a car and offers you a ride, even if they offer candy and even if they offer all this stuff, go the other way. Never get in the car with a stranger. Never entertain a teacher who's not lining up with the word of God. Don't don't. stay around. Move. Go the other direction. Jesus' expectation is that we would flee when we hear somebody who purports to be a shepherd who's not teaching according to the word of God. Verse 6 then says, This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. But Jesus is going to keep using this figure of speech. He's not going to explain it, but he's going to use concepts to further describe himself and answer our question, what's so good about the good shepherd? So here we go, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. Door's a metaphor. It can be used in a lot of different ways, but in this sense, it's a piece of security. Imagine your house with no doors. Boy, you're a lot more vulnerable. You've got to get in somehow. got doorways, but no doors. Jesus said, man, I'm the door. And in Jesus' day, the the shepherd actually laid across the threshold. They had to step over him to get in and walk over him to get out. And that's that's how committed Jesus is. Uh, Verse 8, we continue the contrast. It says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Here we go again. Verse 9, I'm the door. In this sense, he's, he's a passageway. He's a gateway to what? If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. Salvation. Relationship with God that starts now and goes into eternity. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. Right now. Find pasture. Remember, we're talking about sheep. They need a place to eat and to graze if they're going to live. And Jesus is using life in the fullest sense. You can find pasture in me. Starts now, goes into eternity. Again, then here comes the contrast. Verse 10. The thief comes to own... Only to steal, kill, and destroy. I think the thief is ultimately a reference to sh- Satan. He, he wants to steal life. And these false shepherds are, are influenced by him. And remember, Satan's main method of use is deception. And what's more deceptive than I'm your shepherd and I'm, I'm really not? They come to steal and to kill and destroy. Jesus then counters, saying, I... I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Fullness of life. So then we finally get to the, the title I talked about, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. most well-known psalm in the Bible, I would argue, is Psalm 23. It starts this way. See if you can f- finish it for me. The Lord is my, is my shepherd. And Jesus said, I am the ultimate fulfillment of that you've been looking for that shepherd. I am He. I am the one to all this is pointed for. I am the good shepherd. Well, Jesus, why do you say that? Here's why. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Man, he gave himself a five-star rating. I'm the good shepherd. Why do you say that? He laid down his life for you and for me. Again, the contrast, he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and does what? Leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Jesus walked into Jerusalem that week knowing what was going to happen. And he could have walked out. If you know, man, just Jesus, just book it out. He didn't do that. He continued to walk in to the mob. The contrast. Verse 13, he flees. Why? Because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care. He's not concerned about the sheep. How concerned was Jesus for you? He laid down his life. So we're asking this question. What's so good? about the good shepherd. What's so good? Here it is. He laid down his life. He laid down his life for you and for me. So he can legitimately give himself the five-star. He can legitimately say, I'm the good shepherd. Now, I know many of you in here are in. You made that decision. You said, I believe it. I believe he's a good shepherd. And there's a point of application for us. And it comes out of verse 10. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. He didn't put a condition on that verse. He didn't say, I offer you abundant life if or I offer you abundant life when I alone can give you fullness of life. Are you in on that? You believe? You will to stake. Jesus alone can give me abundant life. End of statement. Well, sure, Andy, why do you ask? Well, I'm just wondering if, you, if you're... Anything like me. Because see, after I came to faith, the guy who led me to the Lord said, you know, it would be good to start memorizing Scripture. And so that's one of the first verses we memorized. Thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came to have life and might have it abundantly. So it's in there seven years, from 1979 to 1986. I'm working with a group that was then called Campus Crusade. It's now called Crew. And I was on a summer mission in Turkey. We spent four weeks in Istanbul. Then we had a week in the center of the city on vacation. And then we had three weeks we'd be back and then back to the States. And then that week we're in a hotel and we're around the pool and I'm sitting there watching things going around the pool and I can say, well, you know, I think, I think that couple, they kind of like each other and maybe there's something going on there. And those two, I think they're just getting started. And this one, I think kind of likes her. I don't know if he likes him. That's kind of, and I got nothing, zero, zero going on. And I'm 25 and um, in my mind, I, I thought I'd like to be married by 26 and I'm going to turn 26 that November This is July. I'm going to have to be hoofing it. I'm going to have to work to get there. I don't think I'm going to make it. And I am sad, 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 Andy. And in that, I didn't hear a voice, but I felt an impression of the Lord speaking to me. He said, you know, Andy, you've been working on that verse seven years, and it's an unconditional verse, and you put a condition on it. You, Andy, think you can have an abundant life when you got a girlfriend, when you got a serious relationship going. If that's not the case, it's not true. John 10.10 10 is not in play for you unless you have this going. And I came to wrestle with that. And it was a two-year process, and it involved counseling, it involved a lot of stuff, but it began with that unsettling right there. You know what I realized over time? I needed, so I thought, a girlfriend to have a fullness of life. And that made me needy in relationships, and that worked against me, ironically. And it was a process to work that through, but it's, I had to come to the point where I was satisfied in the belief that Jesus could provide fullness of life as a single person. I came that you might have life, might have it abundantly, end of statement. So I'm wondering if you, like me, I've put conditions on that verse. on um, fullness of life, abund- have it abundantly. If I get a girlfriend, or, or if we can have a child, or if I get into graduate school, or if I can finally get another job, or if I can have the vacation, you know, the vacation experience I saw those people have on Facebook. If I could get that vacation experience, or you know, if I've got a loved one that uh, if they get better, or if I'd get better, and I, I'm waiting for abundant life and I'm putting this condition on. If you're doing like I did, you've made yourself a slave to getting that boyfriend or having that child or getting that job or, or getting better or to having that vacation experience. And Jesus says, I want you to be free. I want you to have fullness of life, period, in me. But you say, well, Andy, is it okay to want a boyfriend? Is it okay to want a child? Is it okay to want a new job? Is it okay to want... Yeah, it is. It is. But, but let me turn the question. If you don't get that thing, can you still have fullness of life? Do you believe that? Because Jesus says you can. Where are we taking direction to get fullness of life? We want it. That's God-given. Where are we taking direction? So this is in the uh, Time Flies category. When I hired on here as a singles pastor in October of 2002, our kids were four and one. So that's 16 and a half years ago. And so that means our youngest is now 17. He's a junior in high school. And we begin the, where are we going to go to college? What are we going to do in college process? So we're last fall, we're going to go to Explore Engineering Day at the University of Nebraska in Omaha. i would never been there, so diligent fellow that I am. I get on my computer and I get Google Maps and I get a document printed out and these are the steps we go. And I say, Drew, I'll drive up, you drive back, here you go, you're my navigator. So we follow our directions up, we get on I-80, we get off on 72nd Street, we turn right here, we turn left here, and we reach our destination. But I'm in the parking lot of Baxter Arena, and I need to be at the Peter Kiwi Institute on the Scott campus of UNO, and I'm confused. And I'm looking at my paper, and I'm looking at the parking lot, and and the good news is there's no other car in the parking lot, so I have my pick of parking spaces. (laughs) But I think if there's no other cars there, I'm in the wrong place. And so in my consternation, I'm going, huh, and I'm looking and I'm confused. My son is 17, okay? So what does he do in the time I'm looking at my paper and I'm going back and forth? What does he do? What does he do? He gets out his phone. Am I not the only parent who thinks his teenager's on his phone too much? Yeah, he gets out his phone. And he said, Dad, we need to go straight. Then we need to go right and we go left and, and we can get there. But that's not what my paper says. You know what I had to do with my paper? I had to put it in the back seat and quit looking at it. What we could not do is have him give me direction to go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, 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 it's not what the paper says. That would have been a crazy maker. Where are you taking direction to get fullness of life? Because culture will tell you, they'll give you direction and they'll tell you where to go, and they will put you squarely in the parking lot of Baxter Arena. And Jesus has got other directions. He said, it's me. Where are you taking direction? And like I did that day, do you need to take the direction of culture and do you need to put it in the back seat and quit listening to it because it's messing you up? And you're coming here on church Sunday and you're buying in, yeah, Jesus is the way. Monday and Tuesday and culture's telling you you need this and you need to get this size and you need to get this phone and you need this and that. You're like me. Read my paper and listen to my son. You can't do it. It'll drive you crazy. Jesus says, I want to give you direction. I want to give you fullness of life, and I want to free you from all that other stuff. You believe Jesus is a good shepherd? Lay down his life for you. Then the application point I'm suggesting is, in fullness of life, which you legitimately want, you need to look to Jesus. He says, I'll give it to you. Well, Andy, how can you be so sure? Because, you know, I'm leaving a lot of stuff on the table, and I don't know. And yeah. Well, let me tell you. Why I can be so sure. Here's Jesus speaking, verse 14. So I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Do you know what Jesus is calling you and me to? A relationship. The same relationship he had with his Father. Father, Son, and Spirit have been eternally satisfied from eternity past in this relationship. And Jesus said, I want to give you that. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what you have, your health, what you have, what you don't have, I want to give you that relationship, and that relationship will carry you. And Maybe you get this other stuff, maybe you don't. But you're not enslaved by it. You don't have to have it to have fullness of life. Are you in? Where are you going to take direction for fullness of life? The Good Shepherd says, I'm your man. I laid down my life for you, would I shorten you? Would you look to me for fullness of life? Now, you need to know, you're going to be surrounded by people in your workplace, in your neighborhood, you're going to go to school with them who have no idea what you're talking about. They are confused, and they are looking for another place, and Jesus is saying, I want some of those people to be a part of my family, and he talks about that in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. So I live north of Oak Street. But you know, when I hear about the things Lincoln Berean is doing together, it's outstanding. Here's what I hear. I hear, hey, hey, we didn't have money in the budget for a, a Habitat for Humanity house, but if we could come through with it, hey, the money comes through. And now you guys are about the business of building a house. Does your church matter? Yeah, yeah, there's some people who are going to have a home that didn't, and they're, they're glad Lincoln Breans here. Hey, I just got a call from the state, and they want us to go in the prison. I, I don't, I, don't I, I just heard bits and pieces, but yeah, man, that they want him in the prison, because it ain't working. I mean, so, so together, awesome. Keep going, man, it's encouraging. But there's also an individual part. It's just not together. But what are we doing individually in our neighborhoods, our schools, our workplaces? There are people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. You're sitting in lunch with them. You're, you're, you're doing work, life with them. You're, you're in the gym with them. God's put you there for a reason. They're not of the fold. And you know what? The, the pastors and the elders and the worship folks, they, they're not going to get. They're not, God's not working through them to get to those people. He's working through you. Are you in? Back in the day, it was everyone every day everyone involved in the mission? It's our hope. Because great things together, doing the great things together, that's awesome. But what about us in, in our, all over the city? God's put you there. And, and they're buying a system. And they think fullness of life is in this, that, and they, they spend their money to get that, and they get the promotion, they get the phone, and they get the look, and, and, and they're not satisfied, and they're exhausted. Jesus, they're outside my fold. They need to come in. Are you on mission? Would you pray for these people? Would you begin to pursue them? You don't have to dump the truck, the gospel. Just just begin to ask questions. Begin to take an interest in their life. Do you have kids? Who are your kids? Where are you from? I mean, begin to unpack those issues with them. And watch them reciprocate with those questions. You're not there by accident. God has you on mission. Verse 17 and 18, then, Jesus reiterates that he's a good shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. So Jesus walks into Jerusalem that Sunday, knowing what's going to happen. The times come, Thursday night. He goes to the place where he knows Judas can find him. He's not walking away from this. He's walking right into it. So the mob walks up to him, and somebody says, "Uh, Who are you looking for? Well, Jesus says, who are you looking for? And we're looking for Jesus in Nazareth. And you can read this in John 18, 6. Jesus says, I am he. Do you know what happens to the mob? They are laid out, flattened. The power of his word, simply I am he, flattens them. If Jesus wanted to walk on that deal, he could have. he just give them the I am he, I am he, and he walks out. This was no mob rule that got a hand. Woo, they didn't see that coming. No, Jesus intentionally walked into it for you and for me. He's worth trusting. He's the good shepherd. Instead of chasing all these fool things to find fullness of life, would we come to him? Then he gives us abundant life alone. End of statement. Now, if you buy on this, and you think, you know what, I, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing that. You've got to know, there's some people you work with, some people you go to school with, they're going to think you're crazy, crazy. And it goes all the way back to the day of Jesus. Look at verses 19 and 20. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? So you're going to have people, you're going to have neighbors, you're going to work, you're going to have family, you're going to have the Christmas, year you're going to go, oh, you're oh, oh. Right, taking a little too far, aren't you? Taking a little too seriously. Listen to that preacher a little too much. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. There were people that said that about Jesus. Even after the stuff he did, because it's a heart issue. There's some people who have a hard heart. But there are also some people in this same crowd who said this. Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon-possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can he? And that's a reference back to John chapter 9. A guy born blind from birth encounters Jesus and he can see. And the Pharisees are freaked out because people are going crazy about this guy. So they call his parents and they say, what do you know? And the parents say, well, we don't know much. He's on his own. So they call the guy and they're trying to just get him to back off. And they call him in a second time and finally the guy says, look, 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 look. I, I don't know much. You know, I haven't had much theological training. I don't know much, but here's what I know. I've been blind all my life. And now I can see. And we know God doesn't listen to sinners. Nobody's ever done this in the history. And you're trying to tell me that Jesus is a sinner. I don't think so. Like booted him out. Not because they could withstand his logic, because they just didn't want to know. But there were enough people saying, there's no way, there's no way a guy like this is demon possessed. This is the son of God. We're getting on board with him. We're going to follow him. Is that where you are? The good shepherd laid down his life. Worthy of our complete trust, the source alone of an abundant life. Five years ago this summer, we went to Chicago on a family vacation. And so I talked to people who've been to Chicago, what should we see, what should we do, and and got all kinds of input. And uh, almost everybody I talked to who'd been there said, you need to try what? What food did they tell us we needed to try? What? The pizza. Yes, you need to try the pizza. The pizza. Oh, I've heard this before. Why do I need to try the pizza? Well, it's thick, and it's got the cheese, and it's got the sauce. And finally, one guy said, Andy, 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 here's the deal. Uh, You just need to try it. It's it's beyond explanation. There's nothing in Lincoln we can compare it. You just need to try the pizza. Look, we can explain Jesus when we talk about laying down his life, and it's all true. It's all legitimate. But you need to try it. He's like nothing of this world, nothing you'd believe. He can give you life like you wouldn't believe. Would you take that next step of faith and lay yourself out in him fully, and watch him come through, giving you fullness of life? Yeah, he's a good shepherd. How do you prove it? He laid down his life for you and for me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, what a good reminder. Jesus is the good shepherd. Lots of people masquerade as shepherd, but when it gets hard, they split. They're gone. Not, not Jesus. He walked right into it, knowing what was coming. Could have walked away at a number of times, but, but stay. And then he tells us, I'll give you salvation, and I'll give you fullness of life, abundant life here and now. And Lord, forgive us because we try to find abundance life in, in this and that, and we stake our hopes in this and that and the other, and we're disappointed and we're enslaved, and, and you want to free us. Holy Spirit, would you empower us to take you at your word? John 10:10. 10, 10, I came that it might have life and might have it abundantly. End a statement. That we would not put conditions on that. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.